Hello and welcome to the Cathedral of St. James podcast. In the following episode, Dr. Samantha Slaybaugh, a postdoctoral fellow in the theology department at Notre Dame, leads us in a conversation on wealth, poverty, and the patristic period. Dr. Slaybaugh studies the relationship between Christian liturgy and experiences of union with God. She's interested broadly in medieval liturgy, Christian mysticism, hagiography, and ritual formation. This is part of our broader series on Sell All You Have, Wealth, Poverty, and the Christian Tradition. Thanks for listening. I mean, wealth, poverty, and the patristic period is a pretty big um, topic. So you're just going to get a, a slice of um, some fourth century preaching. Um, I've chosen three different preachers from the mid to late fourth century. Um, this is when, well, I suppose you can go in. Um, in the 14th or in the fourth century, sorry, not 14th. <laughs> um, so Constantine makes Christianity legal, right? Um, this includes like official sponsorship and funding by the state, by the empire, um, just like all the pagan religions also get funding, right? So the church is coming into money, right? Um, before this, uh, Christianity had been periodically persecuted, um, not an official legal religion. Um, there had, martyrdom was like a sort of core identity of the early Christian church. Um, and this is a, this will get important to, to the text that, that we're reading, right? Um, after Constantine makes Christianity legal, we get this funding, and then there's all these building projects. Um, big, beautiful churches, right? Um, part of that is Constantine like showing off. Yeah, and um, look at all these gorgeous basilicas that I can make, um, but you know, well-adorned. Uh, this is very different than when churches were sort of on the down low, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, martyrdom is no longer a pressing issue, right? Sorry. No, you're fine, come on in. Sort of introducing us to the fourth century. Um, we're doing a lot like, of uh, electronics, right? Yeah, a lot of electronics. <laughs> um, but like Kindles. Thing yet, but <laughs> no. Um, okay, so we're doing preaching today from the fourth century, which is why I'm sort of giving us a little context. Christianity is legal. There's lots of buildings. The church is growing, right? Christians are no longer being martyred. Um, there's a lot of adult converts from pagan traditions, um, as well as families who were previously Christian. Um, okay, before this, uh, the talk in the church about wealth tends to be about taking care of the poor within the community, within the Christian community. After the fourth century, when the church starts to get funding from the state, uh, they become mediators to taking care of the poor outside of the church as well, right? They have to use this wealth in a way that that benefits the society, right? And so we start seeing the language switch from taking care of the poor within our community to also taking care of the poor outside of our walls, right? The sort of what we think of as, you know, taking care of the poor and charity and, um, you know, providing food and shelter and clothing and healthcare and things like that, right? Okay. So that's my little brief rundown on the fourth century. <laughs> um, today, we're going to be looking at a text from Cyril of Jerusalem, who was a bishop of Jerusalem uh, from around maybe 350. Uh, and in Jerusalem in particular, there are huge building projects, right? So the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, right? And they're building all of these different churches and pilgrims are starting to come um, uh, and, and Constantine is really invested in Jerusalem. Okay, so then we're gonna look at great, Gregory of Nazianzus. He comes from a very wealthy family, which is, could be an interesting thing to know about him as we read his text. Um, he was the Bishop of Nazianzus and also Constantinople for a little while. Constantinople is Constantine's new 
like uh, capital, right? And lots and lots of buildings and ridges and wealth, right? Um, this is like a very prestigious place, but it's not ancient, right? The ancient uh, important apostolic sees are going to be like uh, Antioch and Alexandria, uh, Rome, uh, Constantine's kind of, or Constantinople is new. Um, so there's politics involved. Chrysostom was also the bishop of Constantinople for a little bit, and then he was exiled because he made everyone mad. <laughs> um, he was not a he was a fiery preacher, and I think we'll see that in the text that we look at. Okay, so mostly today I just want to sit and look at these texts and then see what you guys think. Um, these are, I think, fairly representative of at least a major um, theme or stream in how to deal with wealth theologically um, at this time, although there are differences between them as well. So we're gonna start with this quote from Cyril of Jerusalem. Would anybody like to read? We just have a lot of quotes. So I'm just gonna ask for volunteers so that I'm not the only one talking, if that's okay. Shelley, would you like to? Let the hypocrite attend to John's words. Now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear sound fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So what is to be done? What are the fruits of repentance? Let him who has two tunics give to him who has none. The teacher deserves to be believed for he first practiced what he taught and let him who has food do likewise. Do you want to enjoy the grace of the Holy Spirit while not dating to give material food to the poor? You aspire to great things while refusing to share the small. Thank you. Okay, so try um, not to fall. Right, Cyril, first of all, is giving a lecture, a catechesis concerning baptism to those about to be baptized. Right, so this is like your baptismal preparation for coming into the church. Okay, um, so. Right. Um, what notes, because I'm going to skip through the other quotes before we start our discussion. What notes would you like to take away from this quote that, so that we can have them on the board for our discussion? Like what's important about this quote in terms of Cyril's approach to wealth or possessions? Yeah. I think it's biblically based. He's quoting the New Testament. And the prophets. I must conclude that love of the poor and compassion and sympathy of our own flesh and blood is its most excellent form. Silver and mosaics and colored paintings. What do you make of all of this, my friends, my brothers and sisters? Why do we suffer ourselves from the spiritual sickness? Why do we not help our own natural kin while we have time? Why do we not take steps to protect them in the lower state of their flesh since we are flesh ourselves? Why do we feast in the face of our brothers and sisters' misfortunes? Let it not be so with me. Let me not be rich while they are destitute. Okay. What do we need to write down here? Preacher can always go back to good old fashioned guilt. Huh? Preacher can always go back to good old fashioned guilt. <laughs> gift that keeps on <laughs> this is the person you said grew up from a wealthy family. Yes, yes. So this is Greg Nazianzus, who came, comes from a very wealthy family. Yeah. I think it's interesting because there's a very clear, like not necessarily in a bad way, but us versus them. Like, you know, we're rich and therefore we must give to the poor. The last one from Nancy and this. So this is him commenting on the, the pair, well, no, it's not parable, the, the story of the rich young ruler who asked Jesus, what do I need to do to attain eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, right? You've already done the law, everything the law commands, except for sell everything you have. Okay, this is Nancy and the slum on this. Who would like to read this? Do you think that, kind, uh, that kindness to others is not a necessity for you, but a matter of choice? That is not law, but simply an exor uh, exorcist. Thank you. <laughs> I can read. Uh, I used to read. Uh, I used to wish this very much myself, and I suppose it is uh, it to be true. But that left hand has instilled fear in me, and goats, and the goats, and the rebukes that will come from him who raises them to stand before him, condemned to be in, uh, in this class, not because they have committed theft or sacrilege or adultery or have done anything else forbidden by law, but because they are not cared for. Uh, because they have not cared for Christ through the needy. 
Okay, so the left hand, right, he's referring to when Jesus separates the goats on the left and the sheep on the right in Matthew. Yeah. So he's saying this this idea that I'm going to be judged and that I might fall upon the left, which until actually like somewhat recently, the left you didn't want to be left-handed, right? Because that was where bad. Left is bad, right is good. Okay. Um, so that's what that means. What what should we take away from that? Um, fear of going to hell when you die because you were bad on earth. Specifically, I, I think he's also talking about the desire for us to think, okay, we have done enough. And that, and that fear of like, wait a second, but what if we are like, like the idea that we aren't actually doing enough and that that moments were the, the moments that we have been like well we've done enough already are what we're actually judged on thank you yeah yeah anything else you guys notice or want you know want to write down on the board as we the hypocrisy thread run through this too like that we saw in Sarah. You can, in fact, get your doctorate and not <laughs> so. Especially if you're left-handed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's especially bad when you're writing on the board because every word you write on the board looks so weird. You're just yeah. like, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. Are people getting sick of reading? Should I take a turn? I, I can read them. Okay, go ahead. Um, so God says, indeed, this also is theft not to share one's possessions. Perhaps this statement seems surprising to you, but do not be surprised. In the Old Testament, God says, the earth has brought forth her increase, and you have not brought forth your, your tithes, but the theft of the poor is in your houses. Since you have not given the accustomed offerings, God says you have stolen the goods of the poor. God says this to show the rich that they hold the goods of the poor, even if they have inherited them from their fathers, or no matter how they have gathered their wealth. And elsewhere, the scripture says, deprive not the poor of his living. To deprive is to take what belongs to another. Okay. It's criticism. Our, our, our guy who makes everybody angry. What, what do you want to take away from this? Hard agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> not hard agree. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're holding things in trust. But I think it's a fiduciary for legal terms. If you don't give them to God, you must give them to the poor. Because they said, if you've not given the accustomed offerings, you've stolen the goods of the poor. Well, what if you don't give the offerings to God, but you give them to the poor? Oh, so <laughs> this, is, this is a good clarification. Because what this is yeah. referring to, the tithe, is not a tithe like to God, right? But what is meant to be left over, according to Old Testament law, for the, the widows, the orphans, the strangers? So yeah, right, you're supposed to leave the the corners of your fields. You're supposed to offer, you know, uh, all of this stuff to the widows, the orphans, the because, strangers, the because people. the other people in your community are got are how we give to God. Yes, that's the Christian, you know, sort of take on that, right? So it's like paying your taxes in order for them to be distributed to the West Orphans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly a different like. They don't have the same governmental structure in ancient Israel. Maybe yeah. we do now, right? But yeah, yeah, it's a similar idea. Mm -hmm. And in fact, isn't that why they agreed on a tithe? You know, this is like 10%, you know, you yeah, like, like they are your age. So the 10%, I mean, like the important point, right, is the 10% doesn't go to like um, the church air conditioning, right? It goes to the poor. Yeah, it doesn't go to pay the salaries of the priests. It goes to the poor. Yeah. Okay. There's a different notion of possession, it feels like, you know, like just because you hold something, like like the holding things together, like things, but just because you own something doesn't mean it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Right. A kind of stewardship for yeah, uh, for the future. So just for a point of clarification, you're saying yeah. the tithe did not go to the salaries of things. So. Well, yeah, not in ancient Israel, right? Okay. Um, I mean, like, yes. When you made offerings, uh, the priest would get to actually eat of them, right? Um, and so, but in Malachi, 
Malachi is a prophet preaching against injustice. He's saying, your tithes are not going to the poor, and that's the problem. Yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, you're either saying. you're not tithing, or a lot in prophetic literature um, in the Old Testament, it's condemned that the priests are making everyone sacrifice more and more and more and neglecting yeah, uh, the, the lower stratus, stratum of society. Yeah, uh, you know, strata. Strata, thank you. There you go. Um, Right, so this is a theme in prophetic literature. This is Malachi as an example, right? Yeah, so he's telling you're not doing it. Yeah. Okay. Basically, you're not fulfilling the Old Testament law to love it. Which okay. is also very important to note that what Jesus literally said is the most important thing. Yes. Which was part which was part of the, the quote earlier, too. Yeah. Right, Jesus is citing Deuter Deuteronomy uh, and the Deuteronomist source, right? In which this is a really important factor. So he's not introducing a new teaching, right? This is Jewish teaching. This is the Jewish understanding of the law. It wouldn't have been mind blowing to the Jewish people who teach. Right. <laughs> and it thus takes a very important role in Christianity because it's consistent across the whole Okay. We have. I don't know how to. I do, yeah. Okay. We just have one more, one more quote. Uh, and then we'll sort of unpack and talk and see what you guys think. Okay. Thank you. By this, we are taught that when we do not show mercy, we will be punished just like those who steal. For our money is the Lord's. However, we may have gathered it. Excuse me. However, we may have gathered it. The rich person is a kind of steward of the money which is owed for distribution to the poor. They are directed to distribute it to their fellow servants who are in want. So if they spend more on themselves than their need requires, they will pay the harshest penalty there hereafter. For their own goods are not their own, but belong to their fellow servants. Okay. Anything else from this quote? It's it's actually just a continuation mm -hmm. of the previous one. So you'll notice yeah. the similar themes, right? But anything yeah. we want to add. Yeah. I, I think that it's interesting that he was exiled from Constantinople, right? Because <laughs> like they're, you know, the big new center and, you know, they want to show that they're legitimate. And so I'm sure that a lot of the uh, wealth went to, you know, like you put in the context on like building the beautiful basilicas and legitimizing themselves. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, mm, no. Wait, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not a great way to spend our money. Thanks for bearing with me as we just sort of like, fly through those. Um, I'm taking this down for a second so I can just look at, I didn't realize I couldn't look at my notes while it was casting. Um, so I'm looking at what my questions are for you. So I want to discuss. Um, so we have our notes, uh, right? We have zero here. Print system. I know these are all taking right. They're all part of like long orations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is me trying to grab sort of like central themes of, of each. What are your general impressions? Let's just start there. Um, and I like to to clarify, I've of course not been here most of the other weeks. Um, so I'm curious like how this fits too into what you guys have been talking about up until this point, if you want to draw on previous weeks. And their discussions as well. What do you guys think? I'm sorry, I've come no, but, um, like I unfortunately I've only been able to be here for like half the sessions too. But I remember there was one um, on was this yours, Bishop Gray, about like picking apart that sell all you have quote. Sure. The, oh okay yeah. um, oh right okay yes oh, I missed um but um like I thought it was interesting that he was preaching on that um because we saw like all the different ways that people can kind of bend that and also depending on what gospel you're working from um 
And so I, I think that's interesting. And did that did that make people mad? Like, did all of these guys make people mad? Or? I mean, you know, yes. <laughs> in terms of, I mean, like we also like we don't have evidence of like, oh yeah, right. In, in terms of uh, what normal people in the well, not in the pews because they have pews at this point, right? But in the churches were thinking when they heard this. Um, at least I'm not aware of a lot of accounts. Actually, Chrysostom also is wrapped up in uh, like Arian. There, Arian the Constantinople. Um, he is making the empress mad uh, for various the theological reasons as well as his preaching right mm -hmm. on on the wellness. Not just this. Okay. Um, there there are lots of things involved in things. layers. So, yeah, layers, mm -hmm. lots of layers, right? Um, but you know, um, I don't know. Does it make you guys mad? Like when you hear it, or no? Uh, no, because we've heard variations on this theme before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so does it feel consistent with what you guys have been tracking? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Mm -hmm. huh. and I, I think the fact that these things are still provocative today says a lot. Like, it says how much our human nature wants to bend that kind of idea to being like, oh, well, we don't need to do. But, you know, preachers, I think, are still saying, yeah, like variations on this. Okay, so this doesn't make you guys mad, right? But yeah. Cyril says, don't be a hypocrite. What does that look like? If you have two coats, give one away. Who here has two coats? <laughs> or more than two coats. <laughs> okay, so what do we make of this? Are we just not letting this confront us, right? Or does, is this just not relevant to us? Why is this not making us uncomfortable or angry? We live right? in a four season area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't have snow. They didn't have snow in the desert. They we, we can justify it. <laughs> you know, it actually does snow sometimes in Jerusalem. <laughs> I think thinking about this in like current America is also really interesting because it's like, I do have so much more than so many people, but also like, Sometimes I'm living paycheck to paycheck, it feels like. And so, like, I need that coat because what if I lose my coat or like something happens to that coat? Um, so, there's a yeah, precarious this is broken. Yeah. yeah. And they need two coats. <laughs> right, mm -hmm. right. But still, there are people with no coats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like really negative coats. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not leaving because I have the services. What I mentioned when I taught on the New Testament is that those people were pretty poor for the most part. Yeah. But in that time, 90% of the people owned, or 10% of the people owned about 90% of the wealth. So the Gospels are more or less concerned with a whole different strata. And this area is more like us. Churches become wealthy, it's become uh, institutionalized. And giving to the institution becomes more important because the institution has to be maintained. The people that say, eh, institution can take care of it. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, you know, we're seeing this really big shift in the fourth century, right? Um, for many of the reasons I put up there and, and more, right? Um, we can justify things too, like, oh, I'm paying, you know, some portion of my taxes is going to something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like it fits fits the need of our world and the world. Right. So, like, I'm curious, um, who are the poor in these texts? Like, what is your impression? Are these poor people, like, friends? Are they other? Like we have up here, right? Um, is it like an us in the church are wealthy and they, the poor, are poor? Or, right? Like, I, I want us to sort of kneel down. Like, who are the poor that we're getting to? Well, we don't know. Um, I mean, in these was... texts, in these texts, like, what were your sort of like when you heard these texts? Well, I think it's kind of like today, you know, I mean, we have street mm -hmm. people, we have people that have nothing. I think they had that back then too. I'm sure. That yeah. Have a place to lay their head or, you know, didn't know where the next meal would come from. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. is that, you know, so they it, were baking alms then and there were people making alms today. You yeah. Know, 
And I work in downtown South Bend and I encounter that, you know, regularly. Yeah. I, I felt, especially in um, Chris's film, is that yeah. how you, um, that like it, it was very different from Naziansis where mm -hmm. um, it's like, we're all, a, it felt in Chris's film like we're all a community. Mm -hmm. Like you're actually taking things away from people just like you with a pulpit. Um, and so just, it, it was interesting to see how their backgrounds um, influenced how they talked about before. But as a as a another interesting layer on that, right? Nazianzas came from a wealthy family and stayed pretty wealthy, yeah, despite his preaching, right? Um, was but don't be like at the us. top here. <laughs> yeah, he was a good preacher, so why? <laughs> But I mean, this is in the fourth century, this idea of giving your wealth away is seems pretty consistent across the board, right? Yeah. That you shouldn't possess more than you need. Why is different, right? And they're working out exactly what's response, like what does that look like? Right. And this has to deal with this movement from martyrdom away from martyrdom, right? But not trying not to lose the seriousness of what it means to be a Christian, right? That it costs of you your very life. And what does that look like if you're not maybe going to die yeah. physically, right? Um, and so this idea of asceticism, this sort of like bodily deprivation and discipline and practice, right? A lot of fasting, um, you get like hermits in the desert. Living in caves. Living on yeah. a pole or something. Huh? One of them was living on a pole or something. Stylized. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, that would stand on top of, stand, sit, whatever, on top of a tower and not, and they would bring stuff up in a bucket, right? Um, and so then he was dependent on others in yeah. order for him to satisfy his aesthetic longing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, I guess what I'm trying to to push with this is, is this problematic that we're speaking a lot about the poor and that we're not letting the poor speak? Yeah. Right? I mean, like, is this something that we want to actually critique in the patristic period that we hear from a bunch of wealthy people preaching to wealthy people <laughs> about how to use their wealth for the poor as if they're objects? right um, but not as if they're people people yeah but don't we still do that yeah right if so decide what they need or you know what's good for the poor can't just defend themselves we buy shoes and then send shoes yeah. yeah but but also at the same time like um you know it's i think that we need to do what we can and you know they're they're not um a lot of times there's not a, a way for them to defend themselves. And so, um, but at the same time, like, I think it also makes us not see them as people. And um, there's a very like paternalistic, like I know it's best for you like because I'm the one who made it and I have money. So obviously like I, I can tell you what to do with it um, and not like seeing God in the other person and letting them speak for themselves. Yeah, right. So there's a real difference in some of these types and it's not fair because I read the text in more context than, than you guys, right? Um, but like for Nazianzus, yeah, um, he is uh, saying like, basically like be God to other people, right? Like um, you, you share abundantly because God has shared abundantly with you, right? It's about imitate, imitating Christ and participating in the work of God. That sounds great. Except for when you think of, like, then it becomes the rich people who are taking the place of God, right? And do we veer into a sort of, like, savior complex, mm -hmm. right? Which has plagued the church for many, many centuries. Then it's about us and not about them. Uh-huh. Or in Chrysostom, right, we see more of an emphasis on uh, this relationship between us right, being more equal, right? Um, so what we have, we have in trust, right? But that doesn't mean we get to have it. 
Yeah. So like when I teach, I teach these themes in my foundations of theology class at Notre Dame, the sort of like first level theology class. Right. And people are like, well, it's not about how wealthy you are. It's about how you use your wealth. And I always come back to them. Well, if you use your wealth the way that you're supposed to, you will not have it. Yeah. How wealthy is actually mm -hmm. a very important question. Right. So it's not about how much you earn. How much you, yeah. Right. Uh, but Chrysostom says, if you if you are spending more than your needs require, you are stealing. That's like pretty harsh, mm -hmm. right? And then what is it, you know, and then we get into conversations about what is a need. Yeah. And then who, who whose definition do we have to go by on right? what we need? Yes. Um, but what if we change the discussion from trying to find the line about well, how much do I need versus what yeah. I don't need, right? Which becomes a question about ourselves. And what if we turned it, right? And talked about what is underlying theologically the need to share our wealth or possessions or everything that we have, right? Our very lives. Well, if you look at what's underlying, then you're dealing with philosophical things. But then when you say, let's define a need for you and me and everyone else, um, then that's just fleshing it out. So yes, but I mean, the, theologically, why are these creatures so insistent that we have to share our wealth? Because it's biblical. Okay. Off. Yes. God made us equal. Hmm? God made us equal. And so we have to treat each other. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, we can't have these, like, hierarchies that we've built in humanity like that's fundamentally broken yeah, yeah. because human nature is that as soon as we start putting other people um as soon as we start holding other people above each other are we not looking up to them the way we look up to god okay and should we not be doing that yeah i'm a little cynical though okay yeah I'm because <laughs> but i'm a little cynical because thinking the church in some of these times is the is the welfare state so the the bigger state may say okay church you take care of the these issues with the poor sure and so they are i don't know well so this is a lot of times my students are like well this i'm surprised at how socialist this stuff sounds and i'm like you should actually be surprised at how christian socialism sounds right christian christianity comes first right yeah. there's no welfare i mean like yeah right there it's a totally different structure yeah. in this empire but yes you're right that the church is taking care of the needs of, of and, the people and the on state, behalf of the, the state. state yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. And this is what's happening in the fourth century, is that there's this different political dimension, right? Um, and so, yeah, you can't separate So the rulers may be happy you're yeah. preaching from the pulpit this well, Yeah, the state, so Constantine the state might be worrying about growth and then leave it to the churches to do the distribution. And then... They don't have to worry about it because the churches is doing it. Yeah. Churches are doing it. So I guess like when I my basic thesis for wealth in the early church from the New Testament to this period, right, is that the underlying theological concern is this. Mm -hmm. You cannot love your neighbor if you let them suffer while you could alleviate their suffering. That's just simply not love, right? I think this is the underlying theological concern. Not that there's not political dimensions, not that there's not, you know, all these other layers, right? But theologically, it's biblically based, right? Because Christ is an example of what it means to love others yeah so i mean like that's great but it's also really really challenging yeah yeah it's because it's what's the answer <laughs> oh i don't care you guys just jump in um i like one of my things is always that jesus was so radical and i feel like we make him not radical in order and, and part of that i think is establishing Christianity as a religion and it, you know, in order to survive it out, it'll align itself with power and things like that. But mm -hmm. I mean, this is very radical. It's very challenging. And I think that that discomfort 
is important to sit with because I think Jesus wanted to make us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus was executed as political. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's half of afflicting the comfortable. The other half is comforting the afflicted. So you're going to be one of the other. <laughs> right away, that's two groups. Also, like, I, I like to look at things a lot from a cynical perspective, but if it, it, it's true, yeah. but like also like if we take away our cynical aspect here, these are three different people trying to confront the idea about what does it what does it mean to live a moral life? Mm -hmm. And like, even if you take out political dimensions, I still think like, because we all still have those discussions today. I think these people are just really trying to grapple with what does it actually mean to live like Jesus did? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for me? And what does, and am I wrong because I live in a different way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what does, I mean, like the cost, right? They're all grappling with what does it cost because they have all of these adult converts coming from other religious traditions, right? And all of a sudden, Christianity is growing and it's becoming maybe politically advantageous to become a Christian, right? Yeah. It's actually like, it's, it's thinking about it from this perspective, it's a bunch of people really trying hard to be like, well, what is the exact amount that I need to give to get to heaven? And when they ask Jesus, Jesus says, eh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, right? So this... This is what I mean. Like if if you uh those of you in this room who have kids or a partner or family, right? Um, that you love. Not everybody does, right? But but if you can think of that type of a relationship, would you ever ask of someone that you truly love, what is the least that I have to give them <laughs> in order to have a relationship with them? You wouldn't. All the time. <laughs> that's why i'm trying to drive us back to love right it's not just about uh we're all created equal or that god cares for the oppressed as if there's some other right it's that in christianity there's this familial bond right you become family and then it expands right so these creatures are trying to drive you to see that's God over there on the street, right? If you love God, are you going to ask, what is the least that I have to do to love you, God? Maybe, maybe we are more used to doing that, right? But we're not used to doing that, at least with our human relationships. You don't go into a marriage and say, what's the least I have to do? Or you don't have a kid and say, what's the least I have to do? Like, do I really need to buy you a winter coat? I mean, no, you we have, have to buy them a winter coat. They're going to be cold. We they need in a winter coat. Why don't we, you know, I think these preachers are trying to say, why aren't you doing that for these people? Yeah. Why is that not the question that, that we ask? You know? Because we're just the broken leading the broken. <laughs> yes. So, so, I, so much need. How can we do yeah. it all? Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes think, um, this going back to love challenges this poor as other, right? That you have to give to the poor, right? Um, I'm I'm Roman Catholic for those of you that don't know, right? And Pope Francis talks about the the church of the poor and for the poor, right? Um, and I think about this a lot. What does it mean to be a poor church? No Sistine Chapel. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. To give extravagance. Okay. That's a lot. I mean, yeah. Not being extravagant in the church, but to give extravagance. Okay. Good. What? What would it look like <laughs> if the church had no wealthy people? It wouldn't exist for long. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Okay, by wealthy people, right? Remember, I don't mean how much they earn, right? I mean how much they keep for themselves, right? So you can make $100 million a year and still not be wealthy if you're using, you know, 40000 because that's all you need, right? And giving the rest away, right? 
but giving 10% of 100 million is not actually like proportional, right? Um, you really can give more than that. Um, what would the church look like if it had no wealthy people, no people who held things in excess? I'm just curious, right? Because I have to define excess. But who tried, right? Who tried not to hold things in excess? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe the better way of putting it is what would it look like if the church actually was a place where the poor are taken care of in its walls, where the poor are in relationship with us? Yeah. You wouldn't call them the poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it would just be us. Yeah. Yeah. Is that doable? Is this a pipe dream, a utopia? I agree. This is the only church I've been in where I've experienced that as well. This isn't meant to be like a, you know, knocking on our community. <laughs> but also, yeah, not meant to be like a comforting thing about our community either. It's like, what if, what if these creatures are right? We can argue. Maybe they're not right. Maybe this is the wrong way to interpret Jesus's life or the teachings of Jesus. But if they're right, you know, I'm I'm curious, like practically, um, what it's it's kind of vulnerable, yeah, to 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 share your own needs with people, right? Yeah. All right, and then what if they ask for something, and we if we're a poor church. We might not have it to give them. We sure. And but so then we never have said to say no. Church. Huh? It, 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 we, we said, what is it like to be not a wealthy church? Yes, not a exactly. Poor church. Exactly. There is a difference where we, where the idea is not necessarily that we do not have that. It's we have the that that excess. What does it look like to actually give that to the people who need it? Yeah. Um, speaking on what you said though, with the pipe dream thing, like. I mean, where it's like, is this just us thinking about what a utopia would be like? Isn't that kind of the point? <laughs> like, isn't that kind of what we're all trying to do? To make the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, like, yeah. like, yeah, it might be a pipe dream. It might be a pipe dream of a utopia, but that's kind of, you know, the goal. <laughs> like, um, what, what you were saying just reminded me, I, I would hear stories growing up of when my grandma was little and she grew up during the depression and there were, I think, like over 20 people living in her house and her father was the only one who was working, but she never felt it was overcrowded or poor because everybody who wasn't working, who couldn't get work, contributed to the house and raising the children and everything like that. And that just sounded like a beautiful way mm. to grow up. Like there's a ton of people and everybody lives communally and money isn't the only way that you give, even though like it was important, but like he gave that money to letting people like live in his house. So like, like you said, like everybody has talents and treasure and time. And if we all gave that, um, it could, it might feel utopian, like, but in a good way. Like, sure. Yeah, I feel like, you know, any groups of us are like, okay, kind of mm -hmm. in our community. Um, when people are out of being, you know, like in our neighborhood, I know neighbors are different. You're at a time that neighbors are praying about you, or we're praying for you, you know, just drop them off my way. And that's more of like, Right. One thing I've noticed too is that people that don't have much, it seems like they're more generous. You know, when I, I worked as a nurse and like we have a carry-in and like a tech makes, you know, like a third of what a nurse makes would be like, oh, I'll bring the main dish. I'll bring the, you know, it'd be like, you know, you have no money. How can you afford that? But it was just, you know, just something I've observed. And I have to you know, check my own self. Am I holding on to things, you know, mm -hmm. versus giving on a hand? You know, mm -hmm. I was thinking I need to go through my clothes because I have like five women clothes, you know? <laughs> Maybe she did not have other expenses that nurses might. Nurses might have a parent in a nursing home or a retarded child or, um, you know, I mean, you don't know, you don't know what her economic background was. But it is statistically also true, actually, that, um, people with less income tend to give more proportionately of their income than people with more income. There have been studies that confirm this. Right? So it's like the people who work in, who, who've worked in uh, like fresh, like who, who worked 
for like in, in the service industry, stuff like that. I've never noticed that like they always give some of the best tips, like they always give the best tips because they're like, yeah, we know we've been there. We know what it is to like to, to suffer in this way. So okay. there's that sense of camaraderie. Yeah. camaraderie act. There's that, that separation. It's yeah. not that separation yeah. that, that was like, it's not the poor. It's I know this, like this is the community. Yeah, yeah. There's a real like sense of knowledge, right? To know what your neighbors need means that you have to know your neighbors, yeah. right? Which then is more likely for you to love your neighbors when you know your neighbors. Exactly, exactly. And I, I've, not to just like default, but does people, do, are you guys familiar with um, Buy Nothing, the group? Mm -hmm. It's like an organization, a, a sort of grassroots thing, um, a hyper-local uh, Facebook. They're usually on Facebook, yeah. Um, so if you live within the geographic area, I think there's five in South Bend. Um, and it's based on the idea of a gift economy, right? Um, just buy nothing. You can ask, you can give, or you can uh, offer gratitude. Those are like the three types of posts, right? There's no selling, there's no trading, there's no bargaining, right? It's not first come, first serve. Um, it is like, hey, I need... Uh, my car needs to be fixed. Are there any mechanics? That's an appropriate ask. Uh, you can ask for as big or as small as you want. You can offer as big or as little as you want, right? Um, I've seen people offer like, hey, I'm really good at organizing uh, pantries. Does yeah. anybody need someone to come over and organize their pantry? I would like to gift that, right? Um, what would that look like in a church community, right? Like, is that is that a possible? Because I feel like I don't honestly know the needs of you all around this table. I don't know what you need. How can I help? Or how do I know if my my excess could meet a need if I don't know what the needs are? Yeah. Well, that you, you mentioned vulnerability before. I think that is a really vulnerable position. Like just even thinking about telling the group, like, what would I need in this moment? Like that's yeah, like that's scary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Looks like you told me before where because I used to have a bad mindset about this, but you you changed my mind around this. So it's like people don't ask on the street for money just because they want to. Oh yeah, they need it. Like they need like like e like there's there, there's not like because like my thing is like well they're probably like well they they probably don't need like it's like but it's like why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in that position? if that wasn't your best option in that moment mm -hmm. or your only option in a lot of ways. And so that really changed my mind on that a lot. And even if you, if you're going to go buy drugs or drink, it could be because you're going to go into withdrawal without it. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a medical thing at that point. And so like judging what people need also is a thing that we need to not do. Like if somebody says that they need this in this moment, trust them, love them, support them, to help them get out of that. I don't know if it's something we talked about in here or something I read or heard on a podcast, but it was like always taking what somebody says at face value. Like if they're saying, I need food, just don't question it. Just, oh, this person needs food or this person needs 10 bucks or take off those cynicism. Goggles. Yeah, which is hard. <laughs> but yeah, the person knocking on your window at the gas station, you know, just it kind of takes some of the pressure off of you because you don't have to figure out what it is they really need or, oh, this is what you know. Mm -hmm. And if we were all doing that, then maybe we wouldn't have that um, that fear or that lack mindset of like the winter coat thing. So I'm kind of in the same thing. All right, I have two. One's about to go out. What if I don't get another one when I need it? But if we were all doing this and you could trust that, yes, the Lord will always provide because there's more abundance in the world than we can even wrap our heads around. But there's like, that fear underneath of what if somebody else is thinking this too? I don't know. If we were all doing this, we wouldn't have that fear. We would all just be, oh, you need this, you need that. And if we were in a community that was had the habit of saying, hey, I gave my coat away on the street. Now my coat broke. I need another one. And you could just ask someone mm -hmm. who has an extra coat. Then you don't have to be afraid, right? Of Right, the there's a more free movement of goods, mm -hmm. and de depending on who who needs it at that point. Right, with baby toys and baby gear, this actually happens a lot. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, instead of buying something that you're going to use for three months, okay. right? There's a lot of passing around. Mm -hmm. Like here, I use this. I don't need it anymore. You can have it. Or maternity clothes, right? Oh, yeah. But like, what if we did this for, for everything? Right? Outside of the infant world. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're at, we're at you know, time. Um, sorry, I know I deviated <laughs> from the patristic period. I, I hope that's okay. That was in terms really of like, like It was, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, practical application. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah. yeah. And coming at a good moment in the series too, like when we've been thinking about this for weeks and it's like, okay, how do we take this to the world? Nice. I'm glad. Well, I really appreciate all of your thoughts. I, I think these are really hard texts actually. And like, oh yeah, they, they challenge me a lot. And, you know, most of my questions come from a place of like, how do I do this? You know, I, I keep asking my students, like we had a day where we discussed, well, Luke's teaching on wealth in the gospel of Luke. Um, and they were like, yeah, you can, you know, they basically interpreted it away. And I would ask them like, okay, can I follow Jesus and have two sweaters, you know? And they'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, but why, you know, or like, can I like, according to Luke, you know? And like, I think it's just like, it's not meant to be too literal of an example. Right. But kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, because everyone has two of something. Right. Yeah. I at mean, least. what, what, sorry. No, I just said at least. Yeah. yeah. What, what is one of Jesus's most famous miracles? It's the sharing, it's That's the sharing right. of the food. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. The multiplication of the loaves, right? Yeah, yeah. And all that is, is sharing. <laughs> like, from the, the little from the that little, you have, right? Or in Luke's have. gospel, it's, it's the widow's might, right? She gives two coins because that's all she has. And she gives more than the people who give, right? Um, and so thinking like proportionality too is helpful, right? It's not about like a number, it's about love, right? Um, it's not about like, what is the least I need to do? It's about how can I love better, right? And I think switching that positive moves us maybe away from the guilt chain um, into like an invitation or maybe a utopia, but also maybe we can just call it the kingdom of God, yeah. Um. <laughs>